0: Welcome to Paperback Readers.
1: I must be Joe, and that must be Julie. And uh, welcome to a new and improved Paperback Readers. The only thing we decided that could make things uh, a little more festive was to add another voice to the stew. So we have brought in a longtime friend of the show, a first ballot uh, Paperback Readers Hall of Famer. Our friend Andy is here with us, and he actually chose our, our common read. And so we're going to drag him in on all that. Uh, and, and much merriment will ensue. I'm going to bat lead off. Uh, baseball analogy. Here you go. Just segue right there. Um, two things I'd read I wanted to talk about. One was Tony Horwitz's book, Midnight Rising, John Brown, and the Raid that Sparked the Civil War. Uh, i would read some of Horwitz's other stuff, really liked it. Uh, so this, I just kind of randomly stumbled upon. Uh, I didn't know much about John Brown. It's an aspect of that whole 1850s 1860s thing that doesn't get talked about a ton um and and you know Horowitz's a great writer so if you were like me and didn't know about it it's a pretty good way to get a pretty easy uh education on it it's a fairly short quick read and the other book I have been working on and I'm cheating a little bit because I'm not quite finished but I'm close enough <laughs> to talk about it the number ones 20 chart-topping hits that reveal the history of pop music by Tom Brehan Uh, who is the senior editor at something called stereo gum that I had never heard of, but now we'll check out because he's apparently been doing a column on every billboard number one from the beginning on up. And is this the book
0: you've been talking about all the time?
1: Yeah, it's a fascinating, I mean, he goes from chubby checkers. The twist is chapter one to dynamite by BTS is chapter, I guess, 20. Um, But it's, it's funny how one song seems to always float into the next. And if you're interested in what the thread is that goes from Chubby Checker to the Beatles, to Michael Jackson, to Prince, to Mariah Carey, to Puff Daddy, to T-Pain, um, you could do a lot worse. I've enjoyed the number ones and, uh, uh, kind of lukewarm recommendation on on Midnight Rising. If you don't care about John Brown, you're not going to start caring. But the number ones, I mean, you, you know these songs. You can't not know these songs. So I would encourage that one. So That's and they very you kind of book. I'm, I'm bringing you in. Welcome to the show. Uh, you can briefly introduce yourself. I mean, your first Ballot Hall of Fame status has already been noted. But uh, tell the folks a little bit about who you are and what kind of stuff you like to read.
2: Sure. Uh, first off, thank you, Joe and Julie, for having me. This is my first appearance on a podcast of any kind. I don't know if that like if that meant I got a free appetizer or like free wings to pin on my <laughs> shirt or anything like that. But uh, happy to be here. Uh, for those who have listened for a while, I am the friend that looks like Dave Grohl. Um, so if you imagine the Foo Fighters front, front man and what he may look like if he were ten or fifteen years younger, that's me um i actually when people ask me if if anyone's ever said hey you look like dave Grohl," i've come to referring i've come to refer to that as getting dave growled and i got dave growled at church last week for the first time i've gotten it uh at baseball games and work events and friends and whatever but that was the first time at church so that was fun um i live in the philadelphia area so not near western kentucky in any way i was thinking about this recently And Joe and I became friends somewhere on the baseball internet. And I don't remember exactly when or exactly how, um, I had had one or one or two of his books. Uh, I got review copies of early and then we were tweeting at each other and then we were emailing or something. And then, uh, we had a chance to meet up last summer when I was in uh, Nashville for a work event and got to meet Joe and Julie then, and, uh, hopefully get to do that again this summer. Um, Joe and uh, Julie read a lot of books that I read. Um, My wife and I think we read a lot, and then we hear Joe and Julie, and like in a year, each of them reads more than the two of us combined, and then we don't feel like we read quite as much. Um, But we have taken uh, many recommendations from them, and I think they've gotten some recommendations from us across this course of time as well. Um, If I'm being completely honest I probably tend more towards what Joe reads than what Julie reads. Uh, I don't read a ton of fiction um, and baseball, presidential history. Those types of topics are are pretty um, in my wheelhouse. Um, so knowing I was going to be on and that I was going to have a chance to talk about some of the books that I've read recently, I wrote down just a list of five or six titles that I either have read recently or am in the process uh, of reading now, figured, well, i Leave it all out on the field, right? It's not like I get to come back next time and talk about <laughs> how this one ended up. So, uh, just a few things uh, I thought I'd I'd bring up. Uh, I read this book called uh, Unmasked by a fellow named Paul Holes, who's a retired homicide detective, a cold case detective in California. Um, it was very interesting, and it kind of touched on all the tropes you see if you ever watch a cop show or movie. You know, the guy, he drinks too much, he ignores his family, he's completely uh, unhealthily devoted to solving cases. Um, but it was interesting, and and he has been involved in some of the highest profile cases in California. The Golden State Killer case, probably most prominent, that kind of overarches the, the span of the whole book, uh, really enjoyed that one. Um, I just finished a a pretty short book by J.D. Greer, uh, the the North Carolina pastor and uh, and author. Uh, It's a book called Just Ask uh, about prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, Short, um, easy to get through. Um, And there was a chapter about how not to pray that felt like it could have been lifted straight out of stuff Christians like. Um, A lot of references (laughs) to just and traveling mercies and and. Items like that that people in Christian culture are well well acquainted with. Um, I recently had my first experience with a Bill Bryson book. Uh, I read A Walk in the Woods, uh, his adventure uh, along the Appalachian Trail. Um, I... <laughs> I found myself growing uh, kind of aggravated by his partner that he went along the journey with, <laughs> Stephen Katz. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh,
2: that guy was a piece of work. Um, but it was it was fun and and uh, learned a lot along the way. And uh, it was also interesting uh, reading a book like that uh, that that came out in the nineties. And hearing some of the concerns that probably would not be concerns in the era of smartphones and Uber uh, and Grubhub and the like. Um, but even, even so, uh, I'm old enough to remember what those days were like. Um, I'm reading, actually, I said I don't read a whole lot of fiction, but I'm reading a book called Shoe Dog by George Pelicanos. Uh, he's probably my favorite fiction author. He's a, a fellow who grew up in D.C., and uh, most of his books revolve around the action in Washington. Um, he has been involved also on the TV side uh, with The Wire and Tremay uh, shows like that. Um, so pretty gritty, but most of his books are have some type of detective element to them. And I've, for whatever reason, uh, taken a liking to him. Um, and no one on no one listens to this podcast needs to hear any more about it. Uh, but I've also been reading the Baseball One Hundred. Um, and, yes, I, I've been um, pleasantly surprised at how fast uh, the progress through a 900-page book could appear. <laughs> um, you know, a chapter here, a chapter there, and and all very, uh, very fun and engaging. Um, and then I have one recommendation at the end. We can come back around to that one that I haven't started reading yet, but feels like uh, something Joe and Julie would like as well. So, with that, I, mean. I explore
0: i want to read everything you just said that sounds great yeah i mean i've already read the bryson book but the rest of them yeah for sure
2: i'll send you the list after we're done here
0: okay sounds good all right so is that down to me now then i for once barely read anything over these last two weeks um it hasn't it's very unusual for me um But the only one that I really want to talk about, except for our shared read, is, I'm probably going to say it wrong, even though I looked it up like 18 times, Mame, Mame, something like that. It's M-A-A-M-E by Jessica George. And this was, it was so, so gorgeous. It's a coming of age story. Mame is a nickname. Um, The main character's name is Maddie, and she is Ganyan. And Mame is a nickname. I believe it means woman. And that's what her mother has always called her. And it puts a lot of pressure on her. Uh, it's a coming of age story, but for somebody who's in her late 20s, like who feels like she has not ever experienced life. Um, she has still lived with her father who is slowly dying of um, Parkinson's. Her mother's largely absent. Her brother's largely absent. And so she's never moved out. She's never had her own life. She's never chosen a job for herself. And it could have been just a really, um, slow self-important kind of book, but it was not at all. It was just a really, really beautiful story about this young woman who f- is starting to discover exactly who she is. Everybody I know who's read this book has thought it was amazing, so I thought I would probably hate it but I didn't it was just it was wonderful um, and I like five star book highly recommend well,
1: if you you hit a good one, you don't have to hit for for volume, I guess. Uh, Good stuff, Andy. Uh, the Bryson one I always love is his memoir, uh, "Adventures of the Thunderbolt Kid." It's about growing up in Iowa, and his dad was actually a big baseball rider. I don't know if you knew that, mm-hmm. but uh, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's some baseball stuff that works in there, and and of course, baseball works into everything, and it worked into the book that we chose. You offered us a couple of choices. And lo and behold, we've rubbed off on Julie. She picked the baseball. Ball. So <laughs> that's what we're here to talk about. Tell us, Andy, a little bit about Imperfect and about what led you to pick it up.
2: Uh, that's a great question, Joe. Um, imperfect is uh, Jim Abbott's memoir uh, of his life and his career as a major league pitcher. Um, and Jim Abbott was notable in... Uh, in his era because he was born without a right hand um and so there are obviously a lot of challenges that come along with that as a an attempt to become a, a professional baseball player and um I don't know exactly why I picked it up and read it uh when I did I think I had mentioned to you recently uh Abbott's co-author uh his ghostwriter perhaps Tim Brown uh, was a ghost author on uh, another baseball memoir I had read several years ago. Uh, Rick Ankeel's memoir. I think it was called The Phenomenon. Uh, and Rick Ankiel was this can't miss prospect who basically just melted on national television and never got it back. Um, and and in that book, uh, you know, he explored a lot about his life, his upbringing, his relationship with his dad, all these all these types of elements uh, that were a lot deeper than just baseball. So I think that's probably part of why I had it on my list of things to pick up uh, initially. And then at some point my wife got it for me for my birthday or Christmas or something. So I've had it. Um, So it was time to read it. So I did. Um, The book itself kind of alternates back and forth between um, Abbott's telling the story of his life and in one chapter, and then in the next chapter telling the story of, uh, a no-hitter he threw as a pitcher for the Yankees against the Cleveland Indians in 1993. And um, the no-hitter story, you know, those chapters are quick, and then you get back to his life, and those chapters are quite a bit longer. Um, now, sure, one three-hour portion of his life versus the entirety of it, you would expect more to be made of, of the other, uh, other sections. Um, and also, I, I think the title's kind of kind of clever, um, you know he threw a no hitter, but it was not a perfect game uh he did allow i think he had one walk in that game if I'm remembering right and may have been too i I don't know for sure uh and then also kind of tweaking it, you know his uh you know being born without a right hand and and the adaptations he had to to make around that um I feel like I've been talking now, so I'll throw it back to you. I can come back and have more more thoughts about it as well um, but there certainly were elements of not just his life, but what he discussed that were things that I never really would have thought of. So.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, The, the thing that, that jumped up for me with Jim Abbott, um, if you've known an exceptional person like Abbott, you never forget them. And when I was a kid, one of my best friends had a father who had lost an arm to cancer. Hmm. And I've never forgotten the way that much, much like, Jim Abbott learned to deal with his issues. Uh, Mr. Don learned to, to handle his. Um, and you you sometimes don't think about how does someone with one arm change a diaper, wash dishes, eat ribs. Uh, and Don did all three of those, among many, many other things. And just the grace that he handled his difficulties with and the way that he always understood himself and, and came to terms with that i think kind of made everybody else feel good about it even if you're not a baseball fan julie there's interest here would you concur in that
0: yes i am a baseball fan i'm just not like I know oh, okay even if things.
1: you didn't know his era and remember the, <laughs> the no hitter in 1990, yeah i mean right I, yeah I, no i really
0: loved this book and i thought the structure of it was set up really well I didn't know about this no hitter. Like when I started reading those chapters, I didn't know what this was going to be. But I really liked the way it built over the course of the book. So that by the time I was figuring it out, um, you could see the parallels, the metaphors, and so many of the other things he was talking about for his whole life. Um, it was a really well told story, and I think he he put this together at the perfect time in his life when he had enough from it to be able to have the perspective that he needed to tell the story really well because he was very fair in the parts where he that he did really well with handling everything and the parts that he didn't
1: what were some of the deep dive things for you Andy That that is somebody who was more familiar with the baseball aspect what did you come away I mean I, I've thought of a few but I'm, I'm thinking you can probably name off more than I can things that, that jumped out at you as like hey I didn't know that
2: Sure. Uh, and, and just to, to visit back with Julie's point, uh, Abbott came up with the angels, the, the California angels at the time in the late eighties, uh, and pitched mostly through the mid nineties, had a a brief return in the late nineties. And then the book came out and I believe it was 2012. So he was over a decade removed completely from his baseball career. I think that probably did give him some of the space, uh, that Julia talked about to be able to evaluate things fairly. Um, Something that stood out for me that it it just you never would have thought of, and I think especially when Abbott's when Abbott was pitching, I was a kid, um, and I was old enough to remember him and be aware of him, but not old enough to think deeply about the people on my TV playing baseball as anything but baseball players. And something that came through very clearly to me is Jim Abbott really wanted to be one of the guys. And it's not that he wasn't able to be one of the guys because the other guys wouldn't let him. It was because everywhere his team went, there were a lot of parents that were bringing their children that had um, disabilities that wanted to meet him and wanted to, to talk to him for a few minutes Um, and, and how uh, important he was uh, for a lot of people that were probably the age all three of us were growing up, um, you know, to to be able to see someone like them excelling in Major League Baseball, and you know, he'd talk about he'd he'd just be in the clubhouse four hours before a game playing cards, and the the PR guy would come in and tap him on the shoulder and didn't really even have to say anything, and and, and Abbott kind of knew like okay, there's someone here that I need to go I need to go talk to, um, and so that that kind of stuff is like. Yeah, I mean I guess that makes sense that never would have uh would have occurred to me when I was 10, 11, 12 years old but but certainly uh makes sense hearing him tell it uh, all these years later. Another thing that really stood out to me just one of the one of the anecdotes was um I forget how old he was, maybe second grade and he had a teacher or a coach that taught him how to tie his shoes and not not just like, you know, over around the tree through the bow or whatever, but like, you could tell that this, this guy spent some, some of his own time figuring out like, all right, how are we going to tie a shoe with one hand? And so I can teach this kid how he can tie his own shoes too. And obviously there's a very practical life application for that, for Jim Abbott being a, a child with, with no right hand. Um, but just the uh, the impact that that must have made on Jim, like, uh, you know, of, of the thoughtfulness and kindness of a uh, an adult, uh, a leader in his life. I, I think that was something that now, as an adult, uh, probably impacts me a lot more reading that in the last month or so than it would have if I had read it when I was 10 or 12 or 15 even. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, and, and it's not it's maybe not too, too deep necessarily, but I I am uh, in the sports arena. I am pretty close to, you know, whatever you have to do to win fine. You know, you think of like when Kurt Schilling was pitching with his busted up ankle and everybody kept waiting for the Yankees to try to bunt on him and no one ever did uh, in the bloody sock game. Mm-hmm. But Abbott talked about how many teams would have guys, bunt on him thinking he wouldn't be able to field the position without a right hand and i don't know how it felt to you joe but that that felt kind of like dirty pool to me it's not like you know this guy has an injury and you're trying to take advantage of that because he's out there but you're you know like oh hey you know this guy without a right hand let's let's try to take advantage of that on on the defensive side i i don't know how that how that landed with you but i i didn't love that from some of the international play and some of the uh, college games he described
1: and it rarely worked that's one of the the fun yeah. things about it but uh i'm glad you mentioned the shoe tying thing one of the things that was interesting to me i started this book and of course i went to youtube as you do and started looking at various jim abbott videos i watched the ninth inning of this game uh but one of the more random things i found was somebody who had done about a one minute video that was jim abbott tying his shoe. so i got to see exactly what he talks about in the book he laid it out perfectly it is a very involved, intricate thing, but you could tell he's done it a million times. It's easy for him. It would be impossible for me, I, but, you know, he, he's, a, he's a special guy. Julie, that, that burden that Andy talked about, though, uh, you know, the way that you kind of become the standard bearer for all kinds of, of kids, uh, that was really a telling part of the book and one, like Andy, I hadn't thought much about, but it really humanizes Jim Abbott as a man more than as, a, as just a ball player doesn't it
0: It really does it's one of the things that i thought about when i was reading the book just about i mean what a wonderful thing that is to take your time and to do those kinds of things but that that's something that most of us can do in some way like there's something about all of us that we have that we can make life easier for somebody else that we can be watching for um his was just maybe a little more obvious to the eye
1: maybe Um, Tim Brown, great job here, drawing it out. I've read the Ankeel book. I don't remember if I've talked about, I may have talked about it on the podcast, but if not, I've read it. And similarly, an unusual life. And he does a great job framing it. Uh, you can never tell with these books, how much is, is one guy and how much is another, but regardless, he he's done an excellent job in a pair of very unusual, uh, baseball lives with books that ended up going much deeper than baseball.
2: And he actually has another one coming out this summer. I just saw Uh, it's called the Tau of the backup catcher and his, uh, his baseball subject. Apparently is Eric Kratz, who was the uh, he had kicked around with the Phillies, the Yankees, the pirates uh, felt like he played with about every team over the course of the last decade or so. Uh, And he actually spent uh, a bit of last season as a uh, radio analyst for the Phillies. So, We had, we had heard him quite a bit up here uh, last summer as well. Um, Something else with, with Abbott in the, in the more conventional baseball sense uh, I thought, well, when you look back over his career, you know, he came up, he was 21, 22 years old. He didn't pitch in the minors at all before he made the big club out of spring training his rookie year. And he was a very good pitcher for a few years. And then by 30, he was just kind of done. And that that happens. You know, not everybody's, you know, Nolan Ryan or Justin, Ver, Justin Verlander. Um, probably more often than not, guys that come up that early are, are diminished by the time they're 30. But he talked about uh, the one year he was not signed and he was just hanging out at his lake house up in Michigan. And he was like, he didn't feel like he had expended everything he had to expend. Um, and you, you could tell he was a little restless about it. And then he he got back into baseball, went, went to the minors and made it back up to the big leagues one more time. And then after that, I don't know how much had actually changed in terms of the baseball industry's perception of him as a pitcher, but in his own mind, he's like, Okay, now I'm done and I can be content with that. Um, and so I, I just thought that was a very interesting um look at at the the reality that these guys have to go through in deciding when it's time or when it's not time and part of that may just be because most pitchers that have jim abbott's career his statistical career don't get a book with a major publishing house and and ghostwriter and so we don't hear those stories um, but but to hear the the internal deliberation not to hear to read the internal deliberation of of a guy who had you know, had success throwing a no hitter. He um, had been had signed a a, a multi year contract, and still feeling like he he wanted to try and and see what he had left uh, before he could hang up for good. That was that was an interesting um, late in the book uh, detail as well.
1: Yeah, coming to terms with with the end is a
2: big deal for all of them, and
1: and it's funny because he did the book with Ankeel, and you talked about how Ankeel was this promising pitcher, and then in a flash it was gone. Uh, but the the rest of Ed Keel's story is he plays his way out of baseball, he retires, and then he gets the itch again, and he comes back and makes it all the way back to the major leagues as a position player, as a hitter. Yeah. And I mean, this is unheard of. He's one of probably a handful of people to ever do that. Uh, so, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's part of Tim Brown's M.O. Maybe he's like, who's got a, a really weird end of their career that'll have some good stories? Because those two guys definitely would make a short list on that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, the or the other piece that I was completely unaware of um, was uh, Abbott's relationship with Harvey Dorfman, who's the renowned uh, sports psychologist. And uh, Dorfman probably became much more well-known in this area over the last decade or so because Roy Halladay had worked with him quite extensively uh, as Halladay had came up as a phenom had gotten torched and had to go all the way down to the rookie leagues and rebuild himself. Um, but again, seeing a, a behind the scenes view of, okay, it's not just the physical uh, that, that these guys are fighting through. There are a lot of uh, mental, emotional, psychological things that, that he had to, to be able to work on and work through to be able to perform uh, as a major league pitcher as well. Um, so I, I, I found that interesting too. Um, again, not, to watch him pitch every fifth day or, or once in a while, as we would have seen him uh, nationally, uh, you know, wouldn't have thought of any of those types of things.
1: Yeah. So many, so many good inside stories. Thumbs up from one hardcore baseball guy. And I, I probably am, am speaking for you too on that. Andy, uh, thumbs up from, from a not quite as hardcore baseball gal, Julie. Oh, I loved this book. It was great. That's that's high praise. Now, Andy, you said you've got something on your radar that you thought sounded like would be something we would align with, too. So I'm going to circle back to that and and ask you to spill the beans.
2: Sure. Uh, The the book that I had referenced earlier, uh, it was not the new Tim Brown memoir type baseball book, but, you know, maybe check that out too. Uh No, it's actually a book called Undelivered. And the the subtitle is The Never Heard Speeches That Would Have Rewritten History by Jeff Nussbaum. It had just come out late in the fall. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It, he goes through uh maybe seven or eight speeches in American history that were not delivered. But had they been delivered or had they uh had the conditions where they would have been delivered, been met, uh, history may have been much different. Um, And a couple of the examples that I remember were um, Dwight Eisenhower's uh, speech uh, talking about the failure of the D-Day invasion. Uh, There was another speech uh, where Richard Nixon refused to resign the presidency. Um, There was a, a Condoleezza Rice speech. I forget what that was. It was something about either Somewhere in the 9-11 continuum, either with the the attacks themselves or the subsequent military action. Um, so an interesting concept and and Nussbaum, my understanding, is his, has made his living uh in, in the speech writing shop uh of politicians. So uh I'm sure that's an uh, an interesting view uh into um you know how these things come together and, and how they may have been how history may have looked different if the speeches he picks uh were in fact, delivered.
1: Well, the the Eisenhower one is always one of those great stories, a, a great example of of leadership that he goes into D Day, ready to say, "This was my fault. They did their best. I failed." What leadership? You can't fathom it today. The uh, I, I wondered about you. You said Nixon, so this probably excludes. There was a speech famously prepared if the moon landing had failed, he had comments that he was going to give had they perished instead of succeeded. And, you know, yeah, there's got to be a million good ideas here. I mean, I'm I'm mentally making my list of things I would think about for the book, but I can't wait to see what this guy came up with because he undoubtedly knows more than I do about this stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, I am looking forward to getting to that one. And whether you all get into it or talk about it on the podcast or not, no pressure. I'm not trying to force anything (laughs) upon you, but for whoever may be interested, it sounds like an interesting topic and, and one I'm uh, looking forward to getting into myself.
1: Absolutely. We do have one picked out for next time because we had to come into today with it. And and I'm pretty psyched about it, Andy. I mean, this, this is a little outside the box and I'm like, can't wait to try this. Tell, (laughs) tell the folks about it, Julie.
0: This one's called the creative act by Rick Rubin so i don't know anything about it besides that but we love rick rubin so
2: i had seen uh that he had a book coming out because he was in the new york times by the book section recently and they often uh talk to to um authors who have new titles coming out and some of rick rubin's answers were i don't know if you're familiar with the the feature or if you've read it ever but some of rick rubin's answers i just read and went that sounds like something Rick Rubin would say. And that's basically <laughs> all I could, could say about it, you know, and yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll the only see. Other thing,
0: yeah, the only other thing I know about it is I have a former student who is a songwriter and he has loved this. So we'll see.
1: Yeah, it looks like it's about creativity, which which could be brilliant or could be terrible. And we'll, we'll, we'll find out. We're going to dive in on Rick Rubin. One thing that, that threw me off a little bit, Uh, I think this is one of these books they're making without a jacket. Now I picked this up from the (laughs) library and it was bare and I'm like was the picture on the jacket something controversial or or x rated and Julie assures me that no this is what the cool kids are doing now they're selling their hardcover books without jackets and mind blown, you know.
0: You have bought me four or five books with no jackets and paid no attention to what you bought. Me, I just so. got those
1: off of scalpers. That's that's, that's <laughs> undercover book stuff. Well, unfortunately, that is almost literally all the time we have because my recording software keeps beeping at me urgently. But, Andy, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for choosing such a fun book and for sharing some great reads. And and I'm following up on that. And, and I think you probably got Julian on that one, too. And yeah. if we've managed to get a baseball book and a historical book to her, then, uh, then I'd... <laughs> I definitely owe you, you know, some, some chicken wings or a frosty beverage, your choice.
2: <laughs> Glad to do my part. And thank you so much for having me on. Like I said, first podcast appearance anywhere. Hopefully this doesn't get me disinvited from any future appearances, <laughs> whatever, in the podcast verse, but enjoyed it a lot.
0: Thank you so much. This was really fun.
1: We've enjoyed it. And Rick Rubin next time. And what's all of our contact? info julie because i never oh remember. yeah
0: you can find us at paperback readers pod at gmail.com pay, uh on instagram at paperback readers pod and on twitter at feedback readers
1: that's us and whatever else you got going on invite somebody else and get some new ideas but whatever you're doing for goodness sake keep reading facts